HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chefs' grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. People say blockchain is going to solve all the problems in our food system. But what the hell is blockchain anyway? Coming up on this episode of Tech Bytes. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners, tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And right now, I hope every single one of them is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly podcast on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, we have a great show about blockchain, which is a topic that has been on my list of things to cover from the beginning. But it's really hard to find somebody who can actually talk about blockchain and explain exactly what it is, because it's kind of complicated and it's kind of new. But we're going to get a little geeky on this show today, and we're going to decode and demystify it and then talk about how and why big companies like Walmart think that it is going to help save our food world. 
But before we get to that, we are going to do like we always do. We're going to start off the show talking about apps, apps we love, old favorites, new ones we've discovered. We will kick it off with a new voice to the show and to the Tech Bytes family. We have a new engineer today, Noam Osband. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Welcome. Welcome to Tech Bytes. Exciting to be here. You're super excited because it's the bestest show on the network, right? That goes without saying. Yes. And you are now going to be the voice from Mission Control. And this is this going to be your first time participating on a show? It is. I, I have like just inserted my voice a couple times to say things, but I, I've never formally talked and answered questions. So it's, it's a very exciting Thursday here at Heritage. <laughs> well, we regularly have participation from the engineer uh, commenting. And um, even sometimes we've had the engineers come in to the studio and actually be the guest. So you never know what's in your future. <laughs> so now I'm super excited to hear your answer to this. Do you have an app for us that you like right now? So uh, this is going to be an amazing answer to the question. I uh, I only have apps on my computer. I still have a flip phone. Oh. I have I have never changed. I've actually never had a smartphone. And um, my phone has things like a flashlight. My <gasps> phone can take video and photographs. I don't know if your phone can do that. Um, but my phone doesn't do apps. <gasps> it doesn't even do Snake. But it, it really, I can do like group text and I can do like a group text. You know what I can do, which is amazing. I actually don't know if you can do this on an iPhone and I'm not being facetious. I can send a, a group text, but the people don't realize I'm sending it to a whole group. And so it's like a BCC sending, text. Yeah, it's like a CC text. So it's like sometimes I'll send something and people think I'm being like intimate and it's only going to them, but they don't realize it's going to like 15 people. So I, I, this is one of those instances where you really want radio to have a picture because of my expression and Nigel's expression in here. I'm part mystified and awed. I am part insanely jealous. I had a, I had a Motorola flip phone in my hand yesterday and was thinking about buying it and just popping my SIM card into it and just rolling with just a phone for a while just to sort of clear the decks. You never, ever went to a smartphone. You've been on a flip phone since back in the day. I've been on a flip phone since back in the day. And I'll tell you what's even crazier, because this was not sort of expected. As I get older, I, I feel only increasingly self-assured about that. I really have zero. The only thing that has ever made me reconsider is now that you have, you don't have it in New York, but you have in other cities bike share programs where to use the bike you would like it's right you not need the key dock. like in san francisco you need the app for the code that's the first time where i thought oh i i actually kind of want a smartphone but even then i i think it would take a, a lot i think basically it'll take either a boss telling me you need to get one or verizon telling me we no longer are support able your to, phone yeah so ah. Uh. On the flip phone. Woo! So, so exciting. You're the first person in three years who's been on the show <laughs> who has never, ever had a smartphone, doesn't have apps, and is on the flip phone. 
This is great. Yeah, I mean, you'd be amazed what you can do. I have used Uber off my computer. If you email them, they let you do that. Um, I will use FaceTime off my computer or do like Messenger off my computer. I use Twitter and Instagram off my computer, but I just uh, I just don't do it off. Wow! So you need to be in your computer location. Do you have a portable laptop that you take with you, or are you just desktop? I do have a portable laptop that I take. I even have an iPad, which which I'll use sometimes for for portable stuff. But um, there is nothing better than being stuck in a line and not being able to just read the news. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you're going to be our counterpoint while you're our engineer. You're going to be our flip phone guy who doesn't need to cut the cord because you never plugged it in. Amazing. I can give you like all the exciting updates in the world of flip phone tech. We might do a show based around that. I'm telling you right now, we might do a low tech, no tech show as a counterpoint. Every now and again, we do something about unplugging and disconnecting and all of that so I, I bet if you if you asked on like craigslist or something you could get an eclectic mix of people who um have flip phones oh yeah and you know what i might be one of them this weekend because now so. i i'm you know i used to do that every now and again where i would just get i would have a cheap go phone and i would put my sim card into it every now and again when i just really needed to disconnect and i would just tell people I'm not on my iPhone, so you need to call me because I'm not using the keyboard thing to takes forever to text. And I was uh, I was working at Guilt Guilt Group, the um, online e-commerce shopping site, and I went into a meeting and we all sat down at the conference table and everybody put down their their tech stack. They had their you know, MacBook Air, iPads had just come out, you know, the recent iPhone, and everybody put all that down. And then I put my Motorola flip phone on the table. And everyone went, what's that? And I said, that is my phone. And they said, what does it do? And I said, it makes phone calls. And that's it. And it was so exciting. And it was also one of those things where it's like I'd brought it from the way back time machine that it was so old it was new again it is the 80s and the 90s so maybe maybe uh nokia will bring back that like matrix slide phone or something like that i could get down on that you'd be surprised how quickly you can text there's certain advantages to a flip phone i can text and walk at the same time i even have i realize this is bad i realize this is bad i will sometimes um, because I can just do it with one hand and I don't need to look at it, I, I have sent texts while driving. I know that's bad. Don't say that on the air. Uh, I haven't done it in years. Statue of limitations doesn't qualify. Um, and you were out of the country. Yeah. But it's. Um, I think that's one advantage of texting on a flip is I can do it really quickly and I can still make eye contact with someone. Okay. So... Noam, Osband, welcome to Tech Bytes. Thank you for that amazing no app app intro. And uh, we'll be looking for you for the, uh, for the uh, counterpoint in, in weeks to come. Will do. We could have totally got diverted. And I don't want to get diverted because we have so much to talk about. With us to talk about blockchain, we have Nigel Gopi, who is the global marketing leader for the IBM Food Trust. And he works, obviously, with IBM Blockchain, and they had a big week this week with um, some news with Walmart, where they're getting together and joining forces to try and fix a lot of the food safety issues. 
Nigel, are you on a flip phone or are you on a smartphone? I'm on a smartphone. Okay. Do you have an app that you really love right now? An app that I use quite often because I travel mm-hmm. often is, drumroll please, it's the American Airlines app. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Um, I just love the, it's just simple, it gets me to do what I'm able to do, I'm able to check in, do my upgrade list. Um, I know it sounds really boring, but it's, it's my favorite app. Well, I'm totally enamored with my Delta app also. So, yes. And I love that you can look for tickets on the app and not have it do that cookie thing where it just keeps jacking up the prices when you look on your computer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. American Airlines app. That's a good one. Um, And I already said Delta Airlines app, so today it's travel. With the exception of Noam, who's just making calls. (laughs) (laughs) So, blockchain... We've all, heard, we've all been reading about it, listening to it, seeing it in the news. This week, um, on Monday, Walmart announced that they were, had been working with IBM for over a year, and they were publicly launching their food safety blockchain program. Um, I, before, they said that it would take them seven days to trace the different origin points of food that they are selling in their stores. And with the blockchain platform, it will take them about 2.2 seconds, which is pretty amazing if you think about a foodborne illness situation and how many people could be impacted in seven days versus in 2.2 seconds. If you are on the food tech circuit or the food waste or food problem solving conference circuit, if you follow that kind of thing, uh, blockchain has been a topic for a couple years now, how we're going to use it to solve food authentication issues is that product really come from where it's supposed to is it really what it is we read all the time seafood companies they do testing and guess what your salmon isn't salmon it's something else and guess what your sea bass isn't sea bass it's something else and then of course the food safety issue and foodborne and being able to pinpoint where something got contaminated so you can clean it up and make sure it doesn't happen again it's a blockchain, but what is it? I mean, that's sort of like the big nut. We know that blockchain, what do we know about blockchain? We know that blockchain comes from Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And we know that Bitcoins are mined with computers and there are Bitcoin miners. And somehow they use the blockchain to mine the Bitcoin and make them. And it's all very cryptic. Um, but now, today... On Thursday, September 27th, 2018, Bitcoin, one Bitcoin has a value of $6,501.74, which is pretty amazing. So first thing we're going to do with Nigel is we're going to talk about what exactly is blockchain again, and then we're going to talk about how we can take that technology and apply it to doing all kinds of things. So Nigel, thank you so much for coming. Thank and tackling this, this great, this, this tough nut we're going to crack today. Okay. So blockchain, how would you describe, you know, I always tell people like, how would you describe it to, you know, your nice aunt who lives in California, well, who is also, who doesn't even have a flip phone, who just calls from her landline at home. Blows my mind. Yes. Yeah. Everyone in my family has a smartphone. 
In terms of blockchain, um, we have billions of transactions occurring every day. Some of these are digital, some of them are on paper, some of them mix digital paper, some of them are just handshakes. Block so when you say transaction, that's two people or two entities just making a deal or making an arrangement or selling Absolutely. something yeah. or trading something. Yeah, so we're sitting in a pizza shop right now. It's me going to the cash register and giving them a 20 bucks, uh, a $20 bill for, for pizza. So any of that uh, transaction, you're exchanging an asset for, for something else. Okay, so millions and millions and billions and billions of transactions a day all around the world. We all have our own books. So the cash register, the, the organization has their way of storing information. The bank will have their way of storing information. I might have my own record keeping system. What blockchain does is it keep, takes all those transactions, digitizes it, and puts into one shared book that one shared record that we can all trust in because of how it, how the cryptography uh, works. And it keeps the order of those transactions um, in a logical way in terms of what comes in and what comes out in that time sequence, it's all stamped together. So when you say takes all those transactions, you're not talking about blockchain doesn't join every single transaction that's happening in the world. Blockchain will keep a, a ledger or a book or a record of like all the transactions at Roberta's or all of Nigel's banking transactions. Mm -hmm. So it's a specific subject or set or owner or thing that you're going to track. It's not banding everything together. Doesn't, nope, it doesn't have to band everything together. It's whatever we choose to put together on the blockchain. And then you can you can decide what's shared. So there are different applications of uh, blockchain technology. Bitcoin is one of them that you just you referred to earlier. Um, and with certain applications, you can choose what you put on there, and you can choose what you share. And so you may share particular data with me, and not with other folks. Um, and you may um, want to share uh, everything with certain other people, like your partner. You may want to share all the data with your partner, but you may only want to share certain pieces of data that's relevant to our transaction. So um, Jennifer and Nigel's transactions stay just between us. So to use the Roberta's pizza analogy, because I think it's a good one, because we're sitting in Roberta's and everybody, mostly everybody eats pizza. I mean, you may not have a smartphone, but you eat pizza, right, Noam? I love pizza. <laughs> okay. I, it, it was very hard for me to n not eat too much pizza when I first moved to the city. Okay. Well, and it's probably going to be harder to not eat too much pizza working here. <laughs> it's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> so if Roberta's has all of their financial transactions on a blockchain, would it be everything that the business does? Would it just be sales? It'd be whatever they think they want on that blockchain for trust reasons. It would usually be their transaction data with their partners. So like PO, so their vendors who supply the, um, the flour, the cheese, whatever, those could be on the blockchain. But things that they do internally, they may not necessarily want those things on a blockchain because there's no need. It's wherever you want trust within transactions. And if you're dealing with things internally, you presumably trust yourself. So there's no need to put those data into the blockchain. However, when you're dealing with your transaction partners, you may want that information on the blockchain because now you have that shared record keeping system. So you're able to say, hey, last week um, I asked for X number of, uh, of cheese containers, or however you sell pounds, cheese, probably, probably. pounds, eh? Um, 
And then it says how much I'm going to pay you. And you can see all that transaction data on that one shared book. So what makes blockchain different from like a Google Doc that we can all share? I mean, I could put all my transactions, my, I could have a ledger of my transactions on a shared Google Doc. Mm -hmm. I could send everybody the link. Really good point. So one of the important things about this is the order in which things occurred. And so we're tracking the order in which things occurred. So, so there's the chronology. temporal. Chronology is really, really important. The other aspect is in terms of the security that's involved in the cryptography. And so if you try to change something on a Google Doc, well, there's usually a little line or edit change that tells you about it. But you can kind of get away with making some edits and, and kind of cheating the system with me not really knowing. I also may not necessarily know the, the time, but there is some timestamp elements to it. Um, but with blockchain, all these transactions, or at least data, the order occurs is there, and then the security features. Um, so that if it is basically a, a fingerprint, a digital fingerprint that goes on each, um, each data element, and if you try to change it, that fingerprint element changes. So it keeps the information very secure. So the security and the chronology are the two, two of the most important features of blockchain that everything is logged in real time, chrono chronological time, which is important when you're talking about moving money or things or food sometimes. Timing is very important. With food, timing is very important, mm -hmm. certainly, because sometimes things have a shelf life. But the fact that people can't change the entry once it's put up there, that's the really big deal. You can't go back and fudge the numbers or fill it in later or game it or say, well, let's just back it up from, you know, let's take today and let's just back it up seven days and then plug it in. You say everything has this uh, digital fingerprint. Are you able to change something on the blockchain once you've put it up there? Or? Yeah, that's a really good question because a lot of people say, well, you know, I have something one day, I might have an error. How do I change that? Well, you can actually append and make edits to it, but it's kind of like when you write things down on a, on a piece of paper using a pencil versus a pen. When you use a pencil, you can erase it, you can write up on top of it. But if you use a pen, you have to cross it out and keep going. And so you're able to see the changes you made and you can't hide that change. And that's the thing about blockchain. It allows a transparency of information to come through and you can actually see what's transpired. And if things change, that's fine, but it's recorded there for both parties. So maybe changing information is not exactly the correct language. Everything you put into the blockchain stays there and you can't delete anything, but you can make notations to anything. You know the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Yes. <laughs> We were having a, an event there, and I wanted to create these blockchain t-shirts that says, what happens on the blockchain stays on the blockchain. So that's exactly <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> Obviously, I was not allowed to do that. <laughs> that's too bad. I mean, I think you should do it anyway, and you could just sell them on the street. <laughs> um, that's a fantastic idea. You know what else is a fantastic idea? Is supporting public independent radio. Did you know Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit? Do you know that we keep the lights on and the mics hot entirely out of the generosity of our listeners, our members, grants, and our underwriters? Like this amazing company, stay with us and find out who is sponsoring the show.
Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the podcast where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is blockchain. We are talking with Nigel Gopi from the IBM Food Trust about what the hell blockchain is and how is it going to solve all those food problems. And we just spent the first end, the first half of the show talking about what exactly the blockchain ledger technology is. And, you know, interestingly, it's basically just, you know, an electronic list of things that people can share and look at that you can't change. I mean, it sounds kind of simple. It does sound simple. Um, and, and that's the beauty of it. Um, it allows us to do so many things where we weren't able to do before. When you think of the food supply system, you, you mentioned some of the, the friction points is what I call it that occurs. Things like food safety, um, food fraud, food waste, sustainability. Do we know where things were grown and where was it beneficial for the communities and the environment which were grown in? And consumer demand. So people don't just want to know what they're eating. They want to know how that food item was produced, where it was from. So there are all these different um, friction points in the industry that's requiring this transparency to occur. And blockchain allows the transparency um, that no other technology was able to provide before. So now blockchain does not have its origins in consumer use or food safety use or even um, you know, institutional or corporate use. It has its origins in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So what, help us understand what that connection is. Sure. So um, uh, Bitcoin really originated um, as a response to the financial crisis. Back in 2008. Uh, correct. Yeah. So um, it was really a way for there to disintermediate uh, the whole system. And so that means to get remove the, the middle people, if you will, and so that you can have um, different partners conducting transactions um, without that middle person in the way to check so like a banker a broker correct. those kinds of middle people correct correct people who just pass something along they're not the original creators of the asset or the money and they're not the final recipients it's everybody along the way right exactly um, and then there are certain aspects of, of Bitcoin the cryptocurrency world um, that came to play and one one example is the anonymity of those transactions. And so you can conduct transactions and it's available to everybody, but you don't see that it was Jennifer who, who, who paid Nigel a certain amount. So there's an anonymous feature about it. And what, um, what we 
realize in enterprises is that you can actually harness this underlying technology and make a few changes. So for example, in our business network, being anonymous is actually not a good thing. We want to know who I'm transacting with. I want to know who I'm sharing information for with and who I'm getting things from. Um, and so uh, we don't have certain aspects of the Bitcoin technology that, um, that was originally there, but we do have aspects that help us with that transparency and the speed of transaction. And one, one quick example is in terms of mining. And so you talked about the energy required to for, for Bitcoin. So it does have this proof of work system, this algorithm. And the reason it has it is because of the anonymous nature of Bitcoin. Um, you have to do tremendous amounts of work to prove a transaction is occurring. For an enterprise network, so one with or within the walls of, across different organizations, you don't need to do that sophisticated algorithmic work to ensure a transaction occurred. So it's a more permissioned network that people can join, not open for everyone. So I think we need to back up just a little bit and say to frame what you've just said, the the mining of Bitcoin, they call it mining because it you know makes us think of the gold rush where people went down into the ground and hacked out gold and brought it back up or silver or other precious things. You talked about the uh, blockchain ledger, the way um, protection against anonymity. So anonymity is a good thing, but you want to have some assurances or justifications that the anonymous participants are still legitimate. So Bitcoin is actually created by the solving of these mathematical problems to ensure everyone is legitimate. Right. So mining for Bitcoin is actually having a computer just do super complicated math problems all day long as fast as possible to get to the solution because when you solve the problem, then you get a Bitcoin. Is that sort of essentially? Correct, that's right. And it's said that about 40% of the money spent creating a Bitcoin is actually due to the energy consumption. So it's very intense uh, energy calculations. So, but why do we need to just do math to make money? Well, we don't need to do that with um, the, the sort of solution that we have. Um, and so that's the good thing. So you needed it before because you needed to prove work. And proving work requires energy expen expenditure so that not everyone could do these transactions to help prove that uh, something occurred. When you're dealing with um, enterprise uh, blockchain networks, you don't have to do that type of work, particularly based on the technology that we have. So it's very energy efficient, actually. So you have the recording piece of it without the mathematical piece of it, or is right. the mathematical piece just simplified so that it doesn't take a farm of computers to get to the answer? We don't have the mathematical piece to it. So then what becomes the piece that, if, it, if in blockchain for Bitcoin, the mathematical equation is your sort of proof and your confirmation, mm -hmm. in, in as much as you can tell us, what is the mathematical equation? What is the confirmation and authentication replaced by then? Right. So we have a consensus mechanism across participants to ensure that um, the transaction is accepted and, and put onto our blockchain. Um, and the I think the big part of this is um, the reason for those calculations is that people are anonymous in the Bitcoin world. In our world, we actually know who the particular parties are. So I know ah, it's Jennifer doing right. it. I know it's Nigel doing so it. So because it's business to... and we know who we are and we're in 
contract and business together, we don't need those extra steps of, of proof because it's some random person. Correct, yes. Because there you, you have a an increased level of established trust, presumably, because you know who the entity is that you're dealing with and you're doing business with. Right. Okay, so that's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of that. Um, but yes, the whole Bitcoin cryptocurrency, it's based on anonymity, mm-hmm. which is exciting and terrifying at the same time. Well, in food, it's terrifying. You really want to understand where things are coming from. You don't want anonymous uh, transactions occurring. There was a great article this week in the LA Times. Um, As I said, on Monday, Walmart came out with the news that they'd been working for a year with IBM on this blockchain food safety program. Simultaneously, um, the Dairy Farmers of America announced that they were working with a startup company called Ripe.io on blockchain also. Uh, as an experiment to see about tracking, you know, dairy products across the country. There was a great article, actually more of an op-ed piece in the LA Times, that said that there are approximately 900 outbreaks of foodborne illness every year, and that that amounts to $152 billion spent in healthcare. Those are big, big numbers. Amazing. So... Nigel, walk us through just a little bit, and again, let's use the Roberta's analogy of how how the blockchain idea will help prevent some of these. I think the foodborne illness one is is top of mind for people, especially since we just came through that terrible, you know, lettuce greens outbreak. How does it actually work? We in terms of how does this record keeping actually impact? a positive or more positive outcome on the foodborne illness side. Sure. So for food safety, I think one of the problems that occurs is um, everything is not digital. It's a digital paper-based trail. For us to track everything back to the source and understand where things are coming from. We're talking about farmers. Correct. Back to farmers. Different countries, different cities, different places. That's right. And then you're thinking about if it's produce, it might be that one item. But if it's a more complex food item that takes tens and dozens of products that goes into it, think about trying to trace everything back to understand um, how a food contaminant gin got into a food product. So if you were eating, you know, if you bought a bag of cookies (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you read the ingredient list on the cookies and there's, you know, let's let's say that it's a good cookie and there's only maybe... 10 ingredients, you would have to figure out where those 10 ingredients came from. Absolutely. And in our current world, we have this thing called one uh, step up, step down. You know where something's coming from, you know where something's going to, but there's no reason for you to understand fully where everything's coming from, uh, from the source. So that's actually, that's the USDA. Correct. The USDA requires that cookie company to know one step back where their ingredients are coming from. So if they have 10 ingredients in their cookies, they need to know where those 10 ingredients came from. So the person that sold it to them, Mm -hmm. let's say, it could have been a purveyor that sells lots of different things. It could have been a single company that just sells walnuts or just sells flour, but it could have been a one-stop shop company that sells lots of things. Right. And then one step forward, so where they sold their cookies to. Correct. And again, it could be one step selling it directly to the grocery store specific itself, or it could be selling to a wholesaler, 
that then sold to hundreds of stores. So it's really limiting one step forward, one step back, actually. It is very limited. And um, I think uh, an example of that uh, came to light just earlier this year. So you mentioned um, some health incidents occurring in our food system uh, with the romaine lettuce. Do you remember when no American could eat romaine for about a month? And amazing. And also the people who are typically very focused on these kinds of things are the health conscious who are eating a lot of salads. So it was definitely a lot of panic. Yeah, so there were, I think there were over 200 reported cases across 36 states and five deaths. So it's a pretty serious thing, and we had no idea what was causing it. We had kind of near the region, but it took weeks for us to put the piece, that uh, jigsaw puzzle together again. And then also where everything went. Correct, yeah. Because if you sell lettuce and then it goes to a giant lettuce processing plant and then it gets thrown into a big bin that then gets packed out into salad bags for multiple restaurants and stores, then it just it's like a needle in a haystack. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so with a blockchain system, you're able to link together all these different parties in a cohesive way. So you're able to trace it back to the source. It may not be the source that's problematic, it could be anywhere along that supply chain. But now you have this complex supply chain, um, but getting the data about where something tra traveled, the time it traveled, who it touched, um, you now have that at your fingertips. And you, like you said, with Walmart, um, it happens in 2.2 seconds. That's amazing. 2.2 seconds is amazing. So one of the questions, you know, we talk about on this show, when we talk about farmers and um, getting really great, amazing product, oftentimes, you know, whether you're a chef at a restaurant or a uh, a person at home who wants, you know, farmer's market fresh products or, you know, whether you're the farmer yourself, most farms, you know, on a smaller scale are not super high tech. Um, when you, at the beginning of the show, when you talked mm -hmm. about all of the, you know, billions and billions of transactions happening across the world at any given time, many of them are with a handshake. Many of them are written down on a piece of paper. So how do these handshakes and pieces of paper get somehow added to this super high tech digital ledger? And in the case of, you know, Walmart with the IBM project, I'm sure there, there's actually a great uh, video that's online somewhere um, that Walmart put out that tracks um, a box of cut mango mm -hmm. that they sell in their store and how where did this come from and, and how long will it take us to find all the different points of origin? H how, does, how does everybody from the farmer cutting the mango in the orchard all the way through to you know, the Walmart store, when they scan it, when you buy it, how do all those pieces become digitized if many of them are tactile or verbal or? Yeah, so that's a really good point about how do we connect entire food supply chain? Um, one way of doing that is um, at the point. So each person or each organization themselves uploading data, and I'll go into that in a moment. Another is um, the aggregation of information. So maybe it's not the particular farmer itself, but the person who gets that product who then uploads the data because they have a more sophisticated system to the blockchain. Um, in terms of what we're doing with farms, we're actually creating, a, um, we're creating technology. So unfortunately for Gnome, it's, it would be like a, um, a smartphone sort of app. So we're creating tools and technologies um, that's 
that um, even my mom can go into her backyard if she was selling things uh, to a, a larger uh, aggregator and upload the produce that she has onto the blockchain. Hmm. So you do need technology at some point to make it happen. And you just have to decide along the way right. what that techno- what, at what point the technology endpoint is. Right. It can be as simple as a, a smartphone, for example. It could be more complex as using your existing ERP system and having the data be um, automatically sent to the blockchain. So here's, here's sort of, you know, just thinking about the, the chain and the trail of information. One of uh, the guests on this show from past episodes is a company called Shoebox. And they're a lot of fun. I like them. They're good talkers. But their um, product is actually point of, um, point of purchase. And they come from the restaurant world, um, chefs working in the kitchen. And oftentimes, many of these transactions you're, you're talking about at the beginning of the show, you have a farmer who would come in with you know, a box of strawberries and put a post-it note on the kitchen counter and say, five pounds, $200. And that's your invoice, your bill, and your receipt. That's obviously very difficult to integrate into your QuickBooks and your accounting system for your food P&L. So the shoebox idea is you take a picture of it or you fax it and you send it off to, they have data entry people and the data entry people do it overnight and then it integrates into your system so you have real time. And that's solving a real-time problem of you know very different types of invoicing and billing and inventory material that you get in a restaurant. So if we follow that sort of idea, you know, you have a mango farmer who cuts the mangoes and maybe brings them to their seller and they give them a post-it note that says, you know, five pounds, two hundred dollars. Is, is there going to be a point where we have data entry people who are entering things to the blockchain or that person on the point you're entering things to the blockchain? I mean, sort of being a, a pessimistic type of person, is, is there also then the point of potential either fraud or inaccuracy or inconsistency, the person who's uploading it? Yeah, so there's a few things there. So one is in terms of the individual entering the information. Um, so again, we have, I think the, that example you provided was, was a really good one where they're able to do that invoicing. And what you can actually do is create a system where it gets automatically uploaded to the blockchain once you take that picture. So you actually So don't you wouldn't need, need the person. Exactly. Okay. You don't need a person. Like we're limited as much as our imagination limits us. Um, so you wouldn't need the person. You can just upload that uh, automatically. So it's, um, Is that something that you say at IBM, we're limited only as much as our imagination limits us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a tagline on a, on a, that I should see on a loop and a screensaver and an elevator. Uh, we don't have that yet, but I'm, I'm still Trademark, working on register the... Trademark, register mark. Still working what happens on a blockchain stays on a blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> register mark. <laughs> Buy the URL, register that right now. Exactly. I think the other piece of it is um, it, what's interesting about blockchain is um, the technology is one part of it. The other part of it is this entire ecosystem. And I think that's where you're really going at um, how does this really fundamentally change our food system. And it really does because it enables us all to work together for our common goal, whether it's food safety, food fraud, food waste, or helping our consumers understand better what they're putting into our bodies. 
And so we have to show value to every participant in the food ecosystem. Otherwise, you're not going to be incented to use it. And so we um, understand some of the values for a retailer, for example, in terms of helping pinpoint problems in their supply chain, making it a smarter supply chain, um, uh, solving uh, concerns about what particular product or where products are coming from that may cause a particular illness. Um, from a farmer's perspective, it helps them connect better to the food supply system. And then, again, this goes back to our, our, our um, talk about we're limited by our imagination. Now, one of the things I love is how people connect with each other and that relationships. And that's where I think blockchain can help too because think of uh, coffee growers. They're growing coffee. They, they're not always connected with the end consumer, us sitting here in Brooklyn enjoying our java. Um, what if there was a way for us to understand where that coffee bean is coming from, connect back to the farm, and if we really like the roast, not only can we tip our barista, we can also tip that farmer directly. That's really great. I mean, people want to know more and more where their food is coming from, and you know, this conversation has been a, a very um, straightforward, simple idea about point of origin and getting it to the store and then being able to identify maybe a, a foodborne illness or something like that. You raise a great point. If you love the product and it's beautiful, then you can track back through and sort of encourage the people who are making those products and bringing them to market to keep doing that. There's also, you know, the nefarious side and the terrible side of the food world where, you know, people are um, illegally harvesting things, either from, you know, the, the way they are treating workers to the, you know, wildlife that they are, you know, going after that maybe they shouldn't be mislabeling things. There's a whole, you know, sort of illegal back channel side to where some of the food comes from, which I think people are maybe aware of, maybe not aware of, and, and that might change things quite a bit. The authenticity issue, not just on a high-end level, you know, is this actually a white truffle from Umbria? But also, you know, is this fish what it is? Is it was mm -hmm. it was it processed and farmed and caught in a sustainable, correct, legal manner? I mean, there's a whole myriad of of things that impact the business of food that don't necessarily have to do with the thing on your plate. Absolutely, I mean, food fraud they say costs us forty billion dollars a year. Um, and um, something I've heard from our, our, the food people with whom we work is that more produce is sold that's organic than is produced that's organic. And of that course. <laughs> of course. Right. But that should be really alarming. What are we, what are we really buying? Um, and what are we putting into our bodies? Yes. What are we really buying? Excellent question. Well, I'm sad to say that this is all the time that we have for this show. Um, I want to thank Nigel Gopi, the global marketing leader from the IBM Food Trust, for coming in and talking to us about blockchain and some of the exciting things that they are doing and working on the technological side to ultimately making the food world better, and that means making our world better. They have a lot of interesting things happening over at the IBM Food Trust, and we're maybe going to bring Nigel back to talk about some of those things in the future. If you're interested in blockchain, IBM Food Trust, or any other food tech story, maybe you have an opinion, maybe you are a founder, maybe you are an expert, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We are on social media at techbyteshrn. 
we're very interactive. Get in touch with us. Um, I want to welcome Gnome Osband to the show. Welcome, first day. Thank you, thank you. And um, first day, not the last day. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you come back. Tech Bytes is broadcast live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time from inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen live on heritageradionetwork.org, or you can find us on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. Go log on, subscribe, listen, leave us an amazing review, and be sure and come back and see us again. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Meet and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of, you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chef's grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts.